Hello and welcome to the 13th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves and the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote. Which in this case is Eutechnics of Warhammer 40,000 Storm of Vengeance. So Dave, please tell us about yourself. Uh, so my name is Dave Hawes, and I'm the technical director for the uh, mobile division for Eutechnics, uh, and I'm also the producer on Warhammer 40,000 Storm of Vengeance. So you've answered the first question, who you are. Well done, go you. <laughs> um, I just managed that. Yes, you did. Um, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Well... I first started making computer games as a, as a hobby a, a long time ago, working on an Amstrad um, CPC 464. So I was writing in BASIC and making Choose Your Own Path text adventure games and trying to convince anybody I could find to play them. <laughs> I did that too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, had a, I had an Amstrad as well. I was one of those kids. I didn't really get involved with the Spectrum versus Commodore 64 war. I was like, we were just like this neutral party. At least I was sort of saying, nothing to do with me. Of. It was funny. I got, I got a Spectrum years later. as kind yeah. of a, sort of a, a, an interesting thing to have and have a play around with. But it was the Amstrad that I kind of learned, learned how to program on. Yeah. Um, but uh, and I remember having going and typing in sort of reams and reams of code for magazines and stuff to just get like a line to draw on the screen and being amazed by that sort of thing. But uh, it, was, it was a long time later, sort of 2001-ish, um, I did my first kind of proper game, as it were, one where, as in one where you get paid for doing it, um, mm-hmm. and that was Big Mother Truckers, which was out on um, PS2 and Xbox kind of trading and driving um, kind of arcade game way back when. So what did you do on that? Uh, the, the, I did a few different things. The biggest thing I remember doing was there was kind of a main campaign mode where you, could, right. you had like 60 days um, to do uh, try and earn enough money so that you would inherit the trucking company from, from uh, Mar, which was uh, kind of the, the aim of the game. And there was a kind of separate arcade mode where there were a bunch of one-off missions where you had to drive your, your truck somewhere before a certain amount of time ran out or... There's one where you had to blow up a bridge, and it was those kind of arcadey side missions was kind of the the biggest thing I think I did on that. Um, and Mars Logbook, where you could go and see how much money um, you had made uh, over your 60 days so far. So, were you developing content or were you programming? That's what I was trying to tease out of you. Was I was programming, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like an embryonic version of Euro Trucker Simulator or something, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. has somehow become popular. Why? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're huge. Uh, I'm not playing. Maybe it's great. I don't know. Um, no, I, I saw the giant bomb quick look and went, that's enough. I don't want to. <laughs> let, let, let Vinny Caravella drive the thing wrong way up the road because he's, he's an American poor seller fellow. But uh, yeah, wow. That's weird. So that's how you made your star. That's, 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 um, I mean, it's the, you're programming on the, on the Sony PlayStation, is that right? Or PlayStation 2? PlayStation 2, yeah. That wasn't easy, was it? No, I mean, I mean, the PlayStation Two. I think was a really interesting device. Um, I remember we had all kinds of stuff going on because you've got the you had the the main processor, but then you had the IOP, the input output processor, kind of secondary, and you would write programs that would be loaded up independently on on that. And 
having to make sure that stayed in sync. It was, I mean, it's it's not entirely unlike modern day multi-core processing, but you didn't have the tool sets that you have now for that. You didn't have no. the and also because you were literally dealing with two different pieces of hardware, you were writing different code for different compilers, and then having to have a system for exchanging between them, and that was that was uh, um, yeah, kind of pretty heavy duty kind of stuff. So I've been looking at the the history of, of your company and what we've been doing. It's been going for a long, long time. Yeah. And um, it's just indicative of the the various titles you've been working through all these years. And although recently, since mm, I was looking at it, it's very, relatively recently, it's pretty much been racing games. But I said, we're, we're leaping ahead there. So yeah. I've got a question about that later on, about why you're working on this now. But so... Moving on from how you made your start and what you're doing now is, what are your what are your biggest influences really? Considering the the vast, you know, range of stuff you do, is there anything you particularly you find yourself orbiting a lot? I, I think it, it's 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 really hard to say. Cause I play I play a lot of games mm. and, and across, and I and I always have. Yeah. So a really a wide range of platforms, you know, um, and. There are, there are definitely games I kind of remember as being thinking those were really, really kind of um, great games. I mean, I love the Baldur's Gate games and Diablo and, but Red Alert and, uh, but then more recently things like Heavy Rain and those games were Trespasser, which I don't think anybody remembers, which was a really great um, Jurassic Park game that was, I think it was kind of interesting because it tried to do things. Oh, that thing! Oh, yes! Then he driver did the voice. And you you end up on this you kind of crash on the site B island and it's kind of physics puzzler. That's right. And you had your mouse you to use the mouse to move your arm and exactly. it wasn't like shift to move your wrist. And it was a yeah. terrible game in some ways. It was really it was. kind of quite broken in some ways. Yeah. Um, but but what I liked about it was it tried to do things that probably you didn't see again until sort of Half Life Two in terms of trying to do these kind of things where you've got a load of different objects in a, an FPS environment that have physics and you're putting them together to try and solve puzzles. Um, and the, the, the technology and what they had really wasn't good enough to do it and the game suffered because of that. But I, I admired the kind of visionariness of it, the fact that, they, that really it was years later before we really had the technology to make to make that game. That happens a lot. I mean, everyone knows the RTS game. Everyone says, oh yeah, that was Dune 2. Yeah. I don't think it was. I think it was Herzog's Y on the on the Mega Drive. Yeah. No one remembers that because pretty obscure game and it was even more clunky than Dune 2 was. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, it's... I'm oh. amazed people remember Dune 2. I mean, until people know it's sort of maybe Command and Conquer is the thing that I, I think uh, uh, people remember. But, but, but yeah, I mean, the, you obviously have things going, going way back. I remember there was a, a, a game... I can't remember what it was called. It was a really old PC game, um, like 2D Sprites. It was like Castle Siege or something. And it was, you didn't even build your units. You kind of laid them out at the start. But it was, a you know, it, you can see these kind of things from back there. But, uh, yeah, you were saying about the Mega Drive game? I don't think I played it. No, it's a, it's, a, it's an obscure game. I managed to get hold of a copy. It's not that hard to find. It's, yeah. not, it's not like, you know... Uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga, which is ridiculous, um, but which I still was, I think it goes for two hundred quid now. It's, uh, but um, no, it's, it's it's I haven't actually played have much time with it. I do have a Mega Drive, um, but I haven't had much time with it. But yeah, that's that's meant to be the the earliest RTS. Yeah. It's like um, you know when I played Diablo for the first time, the very first one back in ninety seven, ninety six, 
And I said, this is Gauntlet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of gothic, scary Gauntlet, yeah. It's Gauntlet. Are they not as, you know, coin-hungry um, sort of thing? You know, you were, you could tell that... I mean, in Gauntlet, I played it about... Oh, I was at um, Play.com uh, Expo last year up in Manchester, and there's like they had a Gauntlet machine there. And I didn't know this, but you know, we're playing it. like, why is the health draining? Oh, you have to put more money in to keep the health going. Really? <laughs> Really? <laughs> have you have you played uh, the game called Dungeon a lot or Dungeon a lot? I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it on on mobile. Uh, I think the sequels just come out actually. But I when I was on I was on holiday last year and all the time I spent in airports was spent playing through it. It's, it, it's a, one of these kind of it's a cross between a sort of roguelike game and um, Minesweeper. Okay. And it's it just it's just kind of a reminder that those kind of mechanics of kind of just grinding through a dungeon collecting loot in a very kind of simple go as far as you can type way I mean I, I love that about the original Diablo the whole kind of getting through level after level after level yeah. uh, of, the, of the dungeon um, and, and it just kind of does it in a way that fits in your pocket and you can play in sort of a minute which is, which is great and then you end up playing it for hours of course I remember still to this day squeezing like a little girl when first encountering the butcher just wasn't prepared for him like, fresh meat what the hell is that? I just remember just running from him, you know, this rail. No, it's not that. I'm not fighting that, no. Because the game doesn't prepare you for it at all. He said he's a bastard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, would kill you, kill you kind of straight away. I, I remember um, my wife had never played Diablo. She's a big gamer and she played a lot of um, World of Warcraft, stuff like that. Um, That's but when, fine. We, when we played Diablo 3, and uh, and I when I, uh, I I knew we were getting to the bit where they have the the, the, the kind of the butcher moment. And he says his fresh meat line. I was like, it's just massive nostalgia. Thing. <laughs> um, so anyway, moving on to the next thing because uh, you, you always jumped ahead of a question about Sorry. what you're playing right now. That's cool. But is there any particular developers that uh, you you admire? You go, yep, doth one's cap to them, or yeah. a person. I think it's always there's there's a a lot of great people I've been to GDCs and developers and I've seen all kinds of people doing different things. Right. I, I have massive respect for um, Jesse Shell and uh, Hilmar Peterson, who's the um, CEO of CCP. Both. Oh yes. Because they're, they're just they're, they're both brilliant speakers and they're both people who kind of um, they're very passionate about doing things differently. You know, the, the, I see them just talking about. Um, uh, different things they did. Jesse with his research into into AI and kind of where that's going and what the future of, of, of that is. Um, and Hilmar for the stuff, just the whole vision they had with Eve of having this kind of single sharded universe and really trying to do something different to every other MMO out there. And that was, uh, that, that I really admire. Um, but I'd have to say from a technical standpoint, it, it would have to be Tim Sweeney, um, mm-hmm. Chief Architect, just because uh, you know, there are a lot of guys who were involved in programming back in the day who did all kinds of crazy black arts with making stuff where you would store characters in, in where you would normally store a number because that would be more efficient on some ancient chipset and all kinds of really clever stuff. Um, they had to hit the hardware. They had no choice. Yeah, down to the metal, as they say. Yeah. And, um, and, and, all that, and all that kind of thing. But then didn't necessarily make the transition into, okay, but now we've got our architecture, a pipeline, and a tool set that's going to allow 100 level designers to work together and produce something where their collective kind of talent can shine through. And it's not, it's not about so much that kind of very close to the metal coding anymore. And he's someone who's kind of, he's done both really well. 
and that's right. just, I think that's just phenomenal. That's amazing because you know I've grew up in the, in the thinking, and you probably snap at me for this thinking. Well, if you can't code an assembly, how can you make a game? Yeah. And I've thought that for years, up until relatively recently. I know it's embarrassing, but it's true. Like. I don't know assembly. I can't make games. And then people go, "No, Chris, it doesn't work that way anymore." Really? Yeah, they don't do that anymore. Like, oh, well, they do. I believe people still. There yeah. are people out there still having to do that. But there, um, it depends on what sort of devices you're working on. I mean, and we had to write assembly, even you know, even quite recently. The the, the thing the thing I would say though is it's there are so many people working on a game now that you don't necessarily need to be the person. You could be doing a lot of programming and not doing any assembly. The, yeah. the other thing I would say as well is, with anything like this, it, and this thing I've said to students before, like I would highly recommend you learn it, you go away, you write something with it, and then you never write anything with it again. Um, but that having the really kind of fundamental understanding of how things work under the hood will help you with other stuff higher up the chain. It's the same yeah. with you know physics engines, like writing your own rigid body mechanics, uh, your own rigid body solver. It's like a, it's like a huge thing to do, and it'll be rubbish compared to any kind of even the 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 kind of lowest tier free um, library you can get out there. But having that understanding of gone through that and done that process means that when you are using one of those libraries and something you can't get some boxes to stack or something isn't doing what you expect it to, yeah. um, you know, you'll, you'll have that understanding to do something about it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I agree. It's, um, it's about not... In- it's the black box syndrome, isn't it? Like, well, don't you just press a button? Yeah. Uh, uh, not really. And, I mean, that's, I mean, it depends on what you're doing, what you impact. If you are programming and working from the ground up, then, yes, you are. You do need to know that the, ultimately all programs are doing is telling the computer to turn something on and then turn yeah. the other thing off. <laughs> or, or, or a combination of that, really. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, when you talk about AI, you, go, you mean a flag? Yes. <laughs> a little, uh, like... Uh, I always think it was interesting with C++, one of the things I always liked about it was it was quite succinct. When you looked at a line, you could sort of see, it's like a big maths equation. You can see it's this big equation and it's all going to yeah. resolve. Uh, and, and there is that kind of thing to it. But there is this thing in, um, you know, when you start programming in um, C Sharp or, or Python and you start seeing, actually, it's the structures you, you're building on top of all of that. and. Right maintaining that understanding that it still boils down to zeros and ones you know that's still what you're doing ultimately that's what i'd like to tell people it's just you know yes hexadecimal and all all that stuff but ultimately computers are a series of switches and you need to tell them when to turn something off (laughs) and then turn it on again (laughs) and uh it's a bit low level than that i've actually seen people make sort of circuit boards and that sort of thing to demonstrate this yeah and it really is quite powerful, like making a simple clock. Or actually just simple, did it to, to display a certain series of digits. It's as simple as that. And you tell it to do that. And like, oh, look, that's, that's it. That's all it is. That's all it is. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, I, mean, I remember one of the, the great practical examples of, of having it, talking to someone about trying to understand memory and right. showing kind of two glasses and putting a ping pong ball um, in each glass and, and getting them to try and, to try and swap them. Um, right. And that, and that, just that understanding of actually, you need a third glass, and that is that it, it's it's a really um, kind of powerful demonstration of the of the the very small components that you're trying to move around, and the understanding that it you can say something and say that that's what you want to do, but actually breaking it down and making it happen is really what programming is all is, is all about. Or certainly, it's, it's one of the things it's about. Yeah. 
Anyway, as much as we could talk about that for ages, we want to talk about what you've been playing. Because you said you play lots of games. I can share with you that I've been playing Diablo 3 on the 360. It's not heretical. There's a reason for it. It actually is better on the controller. I know. But yeah, when you're lying back on the couch... Yeah, it just sounds a bit weird, but playing it, and also I'm playing it with a friend uh, who lives out, you know, he's in, he's in uh, Minnesota. So we're both, you know, we're playing this game, and yeah. you know, and it's just really nice to lay back on the couch and kill zombies. And and I, I'm playing a wizard, which is quite unusual for me because he wanted to be the tank, and I'm fine. I can't both <laughs> be tanks, so I, I, I'm playing. So I'm nuking. They honestly, that game, the, the wizards in that game, you just turn to a big ball of death (laughs) and it does make you feel very empowered but what are you playing uh well yeah i mean i'm playing all kinds of things right at the minute i'm replaying the original starcraft because i've had starcraft 2 wings of liberty and heart of the swarm sat next to my pc for a long time and i'm just kind of i want to enjoy all as kind of one continuous saga i think by the time i've gotten to the end of it that i've released um the protoss (laughs) stuff yeah that's that's interesting because i recently had a conversation about one's piles of shame we've all got piles of shame my my steam list is embarrassing um and i i blame the sales i blame them um and that and my you know my, my wanting new shiny things um but um this led on to discuss the concept of franchises of shame <laughs> like what what franchises haven't you even finished and sadly starcraft is one of them i did warcraft one yeah. two and three and all the expansions in between, even Warcraft One, which is hard hard to digest. Yes, yeah, it's, it's hardcore. Yeah, I, I like. Um, I haven't actually finished um, the the Resident Evil series at, at the minute. I was playing through. Uh, I think it was was four the first one where they did the co-op, and five is the most recent one, wasn't it? And no, uh, six the most recent one. I'm six afraid. the most recent no one. No one talks no, about it. No. So four four was the GameCube one. Five first. Yes. Done. That's right, yeah. There we go. So it was what was really interesting with, with that was it kind of I don't know, it felt like it was too big, but like really I thought five five kind of was I thought was a worse single player experience than four. Yes. They, they, but they'd really the co op was just it was really good, really It fun. was really good and quite funny, actually. Unintentionally yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. Save me. Yes. Me. No. Oh come on. <laughs> Die somewhere and get eaten by zombies. Um, yeah, so that was that was great. And then with six, it was just kind of it was still quite good the carp experience, but it just goes on for a really long time. Yeah, and, and if you could uh, get anyone to share that experience with you, good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's one of my colleagues here. Unfortunately, has been stuck with me going through. We've made it through. I think the first down to the last. You know, you do the different pairs down to the last pair of characters I think at the minute yeah um, but besides besides that on my phone I've been playing um, Tiny Death Star a lot which is me yes I did addictive. but then it crashed on me it like actually bugged yeah. out it became busted oh. yeah I couldn't like you know when you go to one of the stores or you just well when you go to the menu screen to hire yeah. more people or something yeah I couldn't get out of that it just went nope you know, the little red X at the bottom of the screen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that wasn't working. I have a 5S. I think that might have been the problem. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm not bragging. It's just a fact I've got a 5S. So <laughs> it's like, it sounds like I am, because I am. But I was like, no, I'm not working. Like, oh, solid. So uh, did you put any money on it, or, you, or did you just let it? I did, I did put a little bit of money on it. I did, yeah. yeah. 
because I was um, I was playing it kind of without, but I, I wanted to see some of the other the other the levels. I mean, that's that's the big thing with it. It's like you want, I want to see what happens when I send um, you know uh, Obi Wan into uh, the cantina. That's what I want. It just gets ridiculous. The whole thing is just these little twee little dudes are like. Yeah. Why have you got a rebel trucking around next to Duff? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the weird kind of characters thing where, like, as well, like, they kind of keep making out you should be terrified of, of Darth, Darth Vader because he's going to have a go at you and, and kill you because you haven't, you know... Yeah, he doesn't. You haven't done. But he, he doesn't. And also, whenever you see him with the Emperor, he's always he's, he's like some kind of goofy clown. Yeah. <laughs> he always sort of says the wrong thing. He's like, the Emperor's a straight man. It's, it's really kind of... But then I, I, you can't take any of it seriously, I guess. It's just a kind yeah. of... It's 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 lovely. Uh, anything else? Uh, yeah, I've been playing. A, there's a game called Uni War, which is a sort of turn-based strategy game, kind of hex thing, which is which is a lot of fun. Um, there's a game called Tiny Heroes, which I don't think is any relation to Tiny Death Star. I don't think the companies are at all related. No, no, no. It's a kind of tower defense thing. That's uh, that's a nice kind of you you play the bad guys trying to stop all the the, the wizards and rogues and <laughs> nice. paladins breaking into your to, to steal your loot. Um, and I do have Titanfall preloaded, but I haven't played it yet. So that's. Um, I've ordered it. It's arriving. You, you got a PC or, or, or the PC? One? Yeah, PC. Okay. So yeah, I, I've actually got it on an Xbox One. Uh, so that's arriving tomorrow via Tesco's. Thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was cheapest. It's thirty-seven quid. I feel bad. I know, but they were selling it for thirty-seven. What are you going to do? Like. I'll have that then uh, but yeah I enjoyed the beta immensely in that game and I played it first time at PAX East I think it was last year and uh, I always go to PAX I really enjoy that show um, um, yeah. sorry I just I love all the arcade stuff yeah yeah and PAX is fantastic I mean it's everything it's all games all the any game top, doesn't matter if it's board games so I play board games as well because yeah. uh, I'm going to talk about that in, in the next half. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, anything else? I mean, I'm playing threes a lot on the phone. I mean, uh, which which one, sorry? Threes. Threes. Yeah. Know. Look that one up. I'll look that one up. They'll be stuck there. You'll love. You'll like. Lo- oh, you'll like that one. Especially if you've, got maths. <laughs> if you've got a maths brain, it's uh it's a puzzle game. We have to match the number threes up with other, uh, and it just. Yeah, it's just you will be completely hooked. Just look it up. It's the num- It's the word three with S at the end. Just look it up. Threes and uh, yeah, I just cannot stop. I'm terrible, terrible at it. Max, maximum score about seven thousand or something. Yeah. And uh, but most of them, I got a friend of mine. She got about twenty five thousand. How I don't know. It's just there you go. See. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you played? Um, uh, I think I can't pronounce it, but Rinkled Sample, the, the sort of Tetris. Tower Defense, RTS. People have been telling me about this. I need to start. It's really it's, it won loads of awards, and it's and I, I kind of you know I, I hadn't you know I hadn't looked at it, I hadn't picked it up, and everyone. Rim, rim capsule. Is that the one? Rim capsule. Rim capsule. That's the one. Yeah. No, I have that. I have that on my. I have that on my Vita. I played that first at Eurogamer. I think it was at Res. I played it at Res, and fantastic game. I, I, yeah, it's lovely. My only concern about it is that once you finish it, it's it's kind of done. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of got. It was kind of like the first time. It was like you played the first time and you were like, "Oh, what the hell's going on?" Yeah. And then, and then you sort of go, "Right, I get it." And then you go, "Oh, I, you kind of, oh, I didn't quite do it right." And it's, it's that iterations on getting better and better, and you kind of feel like, 
okay, now you know, now I've I've solved the puzzle, as it were, and that's and that that's it. But I don't know. I felt like I've gotten quite a bit of entertainment out. Maybe, depends how smart you are. Probably the smarter you are, the less entertainment you get. That's what I'm getting from people. Um, I I just I'm not very good at micromanaging stuff. Yeah. So like, I'm a very reactive player. So I can't play games like well chess, you know, because I know ultimately chess is a series of patterns. And yeah. Once you know what those patterns are, then the challenge is kind of you. All you got to do is make sure that pattern works for you versus the other player. Whereas you know that's why games like board games like Agricola I can't get on with because it yeah. requires you to think about twenty moves ahead and <laughs> and minimum and min max your way through that those series yeah. of, to make and also to make sure that none of one else out you know in your around the table messes up your carefully honed plan. <laughs> yeah, in I, your I, head. I think that's. I, I prefer that to some of the other games. I don't, you know, obviously we're jumping on the board games now, but the the one of the things I didn't. I I love the concept in Small World where you yeah. have the abilities and race matching. I was like, that's a really clever, cool, huge amount of variety, interesting thing in different games. But I, those those kind of games where it's very much kind of like you sort of see the end coming. Yeah. Well ahead. Well ahead. Yeah. Happening, and I kind of yeah that that puts me off them a little bit. My um, criticism of, of Small World is like it, it it gives you the illusion of choice. Yeah. But ultimately, you've actually only got one possible thing to do in your next turn, or even yeah. your next three turns. And if you don't do those things, it's like, what are you doing? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I shouldn't do that, should I? No. <laughs> it's just, and that's my my criticism against Small World. I, I, I thought they improved it a little bit in the Underworld um, revision, where they uh, allowed more kind of player to player interact. There was a few, some of the abilities, there was the the items and stuff. They added a few extra things. That yeah. There was a greater chance of something unexpected happening, but still, by and large, it's very like you can sort of see it all play out at some point, and then it becomes a bit of a mechanical process. Indeed, which is why I shy away from the game. Um, what have we been playing? Yeah, oh, yeah, all sorts of stuff. Um, I think last thing, pandemic with the in the lab expansion. My God, that's it's gone to really strange places now. That game. We shall end it there. Yeah. First half, and let's move on to talk about what we're really here to talk about, which is Warhammer Forty Thousand: Storm of Vengeance. us about this game so the general idea with Warhammer 40,000 uh, Storm of Vengeance is that it's a um, what, what we've described as a lane strategy game uh, and the idea is it, very simple you have you're trying to capture everything that you have in a classic RTS that is base building resource management skills action and then trying to make that work in something that can be played on uh, a mobile phone, on a tablet, um, or on a PC, and and can fit into five, seven-minute bursts of gameplay. Get that whole cycle happening. So, and do that in the world of Warhammer 40,000. You know, it's really cool, grim, um, 
dystopian kind of sci-fi setting. Uh, the, the basic gameplay is you have these five lanes, you place your buildings, you create units, you want to capture three of your opponent's lanes before they capture three of yours. Something someone said to me the other day, and I, I hadn't sort of thought of this before, but they said that it, it, a better description for how it feels is kind of tug of war, you know, especially on, um, on the multiplayer, which is a, a big thing for us. Is we've got uh, single player campaigns where you can play as the Dark Angel Space Marines, and there's 50 or so missions playing as the, the Dark Angel Space Marines, and you've got the Orcs, and where there's 50 or so missions playing through as the as the Orcs led by Gazgol Thraka. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a big multiplayer component where you can take these forces and take them off uh, against each other, and that's cross-platform as well, so you can play Android to iOS, iOS to PC, and all the way around. Um, yeah, because the game doesn't really matter what how the input is going and it's really about how you react to what's going on on the screen so i'll come on to in a minute but yeah um let me think about oh and it's it, one of the things it's got quite in-depth skill trees so mm. yeah god goes on yeah that's a stack of options for each of the sides it, it, it starts off quite mild and then like oh god <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's up there with path of exile because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't quite have the zoom out effect that you do with Path of Exile, where you kind of keep zooming back and back and back, and you're like, is there still more skill trees? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but for us, what, I mean, people often look at it and see it as this kind of, they go, oh, it's, okay, yeah, it's this kind of simple, strategy, kind of tower defense capture type game. And the, yeah, it kind of starts off like that, and there is that kind of, uh, I think, a nice immediacy of pickup, you know, when people start playing it, they go, oh, I've played games like this, and they understand it. Um, but once you start delving into that skill tree and you're seeing all the different options that are available and you start playing multiplayer and you're getting really kind of people who have actually understood some of, some of how to combine those skills, it, it gets quite a lot uh, more interesting. It ramps up. It's um, not difficulty, just the complexity. It starts off relatively slow, introduces the concept of lanes, and then it, it says, oh, you can, you, know, you can change your troopers and you can modify them slightly and then all of a sudden have you got all that you've got an interface you've got that okay off you go bang <laughs> and yeah. then it's all this stuff throwing all this stuff at you like what's this oh you can do that what's that you can do this throw <laughs> vehicles in what yes go on here's a motorcycle here you go hey <laughs> so yeah it's, it's, um, it's, it's more than the sum of its parts am I right in saying that I, I think so yeah I think I think it's when you start seeing the things combine, is where you really see it come together. Like uh, one of the, we have these kind of skirmish um, levels, we call them, which are basically ones where instead of building a base, you just get given a set of um, cards because that's how you deploy your troops. You have cards up here at the, the, the bottom screen, drop them in, and um, and we say, okay, here's a fixed set of enemies, and here's how you beat them. And a lot of those kind of reveal some of these little interactions between the different skills. Uh, a common one um, is is using the stasis uh, grenade. So you can drop a stasis grenade somewhere, and it slows down uh, time in that area. And there's a really bizarre combination of that with uh, redeploy, which is a, a skill that allows you to take a troop you've got on the battlefield somewhere, turn them back into a card into your deck to play somewhere else. So there's this there's a there's a level where you you put your um, tactical marine out, a bunch of orc boys come out and they all hurl their stick bomb. Um, to, to blow you up, and just before the, the, the stick bombs land, you drop your um, stasis grenade, so it slows them all down. You then redeploy your guy out of the of the bubble, and watch the orcs walk into it. And then, of course, when the the bubble um, fades, they get hit by their own grenades. That's right. 
yeah that's kind of stacking all those skills together it's that's you know it, that's when you start to see the complexity of it that is glorious because i think the other thing about this game which did shock me like it's got friendly fire <laughs> yeah. oh, hang on i threw a grenade i shouldn't be hurt. oh god <laughs> you know it's it's quite devastating that you actually have friendly fire was that always the intention we definitely what we wanted um, uh, early on, yeah, because um, we like that concept of kind of it's the grenades in particular. They're really powerful, you know. You can yeah. take clusters of enemies with them, but it becomes about the, having the skill to use them. Because if you misuse them, you'll be worse off, and that's the um, and that and that's one of the kind of really important things with it. Particularly again, looking at multiplayer, because that's where your, your balancing and your gameplay gets really pushed to a limit. Is if you look at the number of skill points you can have in your skill tree, and you say, okay, if I've got one skill point to spend, um, and buying grenades is perhaps, is perhaps the best option, mm. but another person spends that skill point perhaps buying um, the, the carapace control that lets them uh, charge the tactical marine faster, it's, this, it then comes down to player skill in using those abilities that really differentiates whether or not that one skill point made that big difference or not. And I think that's very important for this kind of game. What this reminds me of a lot is, um, which is leading to my next question really, is pretty much the next question, is the game feels like a cross between a 1v1 card combat game and a video game. I'm just wondering, as you expressed your experience with board games and stuff, do you think that has influenced the creation of the, the development of this game in some way? I, th- I think it's, um, it's, it's always going to be the case that the, that's going to come into stuff that, that we're doing, particularly on the, the team I work on, because we're, we're people who have played board games and card games and Dungeons and & Dragons and all kinds of stuff. And also it being, I mean, certainly it's not purely down to it being a Games Workshop title, but obviously there is a kind of influence there as well with us being... Um, long-time Games Workshop fans. We obviously played a lot of those kind of games and we think about that. But but I wouldn't have said it was um, kind of the primary thing because you've got to look at... I, I always think that a game is kind of always a game, whether it's a, whether it's a board game or it's a video game. There are certain kind of... There are things that are different, obviously, but there are certain things that are always the case. And I think if you can tease out those things that make something uh, competitive or interesting or challenging those kind of rules of design will apply whatever the kind of game is okay okay yeah i have to agree i, I, I don't want to sort of, don't like really compartmentalizing um tabletop versus video games i think they're actually all a wash of the same thing i mean if you look on the ipad you've got the you've got the ios incarnations of these games these tablet yes. versions of these games we've already mentioned you know agricola there's one there and then there's the games like you know pandemics on there now and and eclipse is on there all these games just yeah you can play them on ios as well it just makes it you know it makes it a lot quicker because there's not bits flying across the table um not not because you're moving them because you're throwing them at each other because they've just cheated um oh, I've, I've never flipped a table i've seen someone do it but anyway uh, <laughs> um so that's because that's what i got from the game is the fact that there's this combos you can build these combos up you can corner someone to thinking they've got you they've, they've cornered you and then you just hurl off this flurry of of, of, of cards and combos and like all my plans have just been laid to waste because you held back you know yeah 
Yeah, I mean that. I mean that's a big thing as well with the with the deck, because particularly the orcs have a, a lot of capacity because they can expand their deck up to nine slots, so they can have a whole bunch of stuff waiting. Right. Out and you and you and you, you very if you have this great waiting game at the start of my player match when you're like who's gonna who's gonna break first and start sending stuff, um, but there are rush tactics as well, so it, it, that does make a differentiation. But I, I watched a great game today between our QA lead and uh, one of the multiplayer guys. And just he was he was he was certain he was going to win. He yeah. broke down yeah. two two of the guys' lanes. Um, you know he had everything there, and it was just that kind of tenacious delivery of suddenly lots of it was a kind of a Gretchen rush that was really the big thing. Um, and and he broke through and came back from that being two lanes down. And that's I think that's one of the things that's it's very important in the balance of a game like this that you, if you if you do the right tactic, you can do that. You can come back from that brink. Mm. That's yeah. Game balancing is the is the, the bane of any game developer. In my experience or my view is that um, if the underlying maths don't work, then your game is, you know, if an exploit can be easily found, then yeah. it's not much of a game anymore. Uh, and that's that's a big, you know, that's something that I'm sure you've you've struggled with all your career. Is that if you don't get that right, then there's not much much of a game there. Um, yes, I think it's if, uh, one of the lovely things about kind of modern development is it's often possible to have some of this stuff tweakable from a server, and you, particularly multiplayer, will push your gameplay um, balancing absolutely to the limit. And because there, there's no one smarter than thousands of, of players, you know, yeah. in terms of achieving that kind of, they will they will find the exploits that are there, um, yeah. and. Being, and then being able to address them. And that's something I really love about kind of modern development is it used to, you know, it used to be we put this thing in a box and you would send it off and and if someone found something that was an issue like that, you, there was nothing you could do about nothing it. Nothing you could do. Nothing you could do, yeah. Exactly. And now, and now you have this thing where you have this kind of ongoing dialogue with the community and I really think games are, are better because of that. For the most part, yeah. My negative is, and if I may sort of share this one, is experiences when a game is potentially meant to be finished when it clearly isn't Battlefield 4, anyone? You know, um, we don't know what happened there, but we all know it's a bit of a debacle. Uh, so there's, there's, there's another side to it where they actually release a game that's not... Pretend they say it's finished and done. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think that can happen, but I always have... Uh, I guess it's probably the, the nature of, of the job that I do. Is I always have a lot of sympathy for those developers. Oh, involved. yeah. You know, yeah. The, normally, the work and kind of effort... and I mean, people... It's kind of funny, I, you know, people sometimes think, um, you know, it, it, that it's all kind of fun and games, and, and, it, and it, is a, it is a fun job in a lot, in a lot of ways, um, but it's a lot of hard work, and the people, you know, everyone I've had, you know, the pleasure of working with have been incredibly passionate, you know, incredibly invested and involved in trying to make the game the best it can possibly be. And sometimes things happen, you know, beyond your control that mean that it, it, it isn't, you know, what you want it to be, and sometimes... Particularly, I think that's tough with games where they're really pushing the technical envelope. Yeah, because I mean, they, I, they, that's a real problem. they released that thing on five platforms, for pity's sake, yeah. two of which were brand new. Yeah. What do you think's going to happen? Now, granted, the two new one platforms, now forgive my ignorance in this, but the architecture is very similar to a modern PC. However, it's not the same as a modern PC. They are still have unique quirks to them. Um, they do have an architecture, but you know we're, we're digressing really. But where are we? I don't know. It's 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 um, it's an interesting point, and I agree that um, we get more benefits from this system of being able to patch and, and modify remotely. Because I remember the days when games came out with bugs, and hey, 
nothing we can do. Yeah. Next question is really about the your. This is your first Warhammer game, isn't it? Looking at your list of things, I don't think you've done a Warhammer game. No, this is it's our first Warhammer. Warhammer. Yeah. So how have you adapted? Now is the have has the IP been managed? Intellectual property, I mean. Uh, with Games Workshop, did they give you this dirty great manual, or did they bring writers in? How did it work? There's, there's kind of, uh, there's a lot of different aspects to it. I mean, the, the, the main thing is that we have very regular contact with them. Uh, I mean, in, in my role in that, I, I speak to them multiple times a day, kind of continuously about, about different things. I think one of the things that was really key um, was about having um, fans involved. That, I think that was, that was really important. I, I, I don't know, because um, I've not seen someone try and pitch for a game with them that wasn't a fan. Um, but I think it would be difficult to do it if you didn't have you know it's, it's got this huge complicated storied history pieces of law you know going back from years and years of, of all kinds of different books and if you're going to um, have a process where you've got people working on, on that it is I, I can see how you could manage it if you didn't have a collection of fans but I think it would be a huge job it's obviously much easier when everyone had you know when you, when you go into you go into the office and you start talking about corrections and squigs and people know what you're talking about. I think that makes that yeah. makes enormous difference. Um, so I think that's a that's a big part of it. Um, I think the other thing is as well is having that kind of ongoing dialogue, that ongoing relationship where you're kind of you're looking at all the different bits and pieces um, that go into the game. You know, making sure that that does you know represent the IP correctly. I mean, as a company, we've we've worked on. Not Games Workshop IP, but other. Um, yeah, I, I, I noticed that, but I just think this is different. No offence to your previous works, please don't think that. But yeah. I think there's a there's a different nuance to this. There's a story, a vast story, yeah. to this, and a vast universe. You've got eight foot tall marine things. They are very, people don't know this. They think they're just heavily armoured. No, yeah. they're, they're eight feet Genetic tall soldiers. Yes. <laughs> they are, and uh, it's always worries me when you see orcs kill them. Like, how did they do that? <laughs> how, did they, how, did, how did an orc kill a marine? That can't be right. But uh, you know, there's artistic license, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think. Um, I mean, you've got to you've got to take into account kind of getting the right gameplay balance and things like that. But yeah. it, I think it was something that was very important to us on 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 two counts. I mean, I'm. I, definitely a huge fan of the IP and have been since the same time as I was programming on the Amstrad. Um, still remember getting my very first Swarm of Fantasy Orc Codex and being incredibly excited painting a, a, a Wolf Rider. But yeah, the, I, I still remember the squats. Not yeah. to talk about them anymore, yeah, no, but I still it. remember them. That's, yeah, that's good. Well, in general, <laughs> the, the, the game is, I should have probably mentioned this before, the game is based on um, the novel Persian Catalyst. Right. Okay. It's about this battle that happened on Piscina Four. Um, it is forty thousand, isn't it? It's not Horus and stuff like no, that. No, yeah, no, it's forty. Yes, yeah. Although I like those books; they're fantastic. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, interestingly enough, it's not exactly what you would call present day because um, Belial, who is um, the the kind of hero character for the Dark Angels, in the current timeline, he is. Um, Grand Master of the Deathwing, so the first company of yeah. Angels. Um, but at the time of this novel, he this was just sort of before he was promoted. Mm. Um, 
and although he has served in the Deathwing at the time of the novel, he's the master of the third company. And that was that was an interesting challenge for us because um, we didn't have uh, a very kind of precise visual reference for how he should look because it's a little bit earlier. Um, he's wearing power armor, not his Terminator armor, um, and kind of you know the different sources. I mean. Storm of Vengeance um, was the name of the original campaign pack that came out for um, the tabletop game uh, way back when, which kind of very initially told this story, um, which then went on to be uh, the novel and, and, and now the game. Um, and, you know, no one had, there wasn't kind of this absolute 100%, this is exactly how he should look from every angle. Right. So, moving on to the single player versus multiplayer. Um, I tried to get a handle on this. Um, am I right in thinking that there's no real relationship between the two modes? I mean, you don't need to finish the single player in order to unlock things in the multiplayer, or no. am I being wrong? There's not, it's not that the case, is it? No, there's no, there isn't a link in that way. Interestingly enough, we, we did talk about, because all the tutorials are in the single player, so we teach you how to play in the um, first several missions of the, of the single player game, and yeah. we did talk about locking multiplayer off until people have completed those tutorials but to be honest what we found was that some you know I've, I've been to various events where we've put the game in front of people and people just start playing and they kind of they kind of get on with it and I think if people want to really understand the game they'll play through single player and it'll kind of hand hold them to that point but if you want to go in and jump into the, the multiplayer action then then I, I think we should let people do that so your techniques the more well known for your racing games could be said recent years yeah. and yet here you are doing a tactical lane card game I've just got to ask is this the beginning of you branching out into other genres now since guess what you used to do are you sort of going back to that like, can you say that or is well, this like the first sort of stab back into more diverse stuff I think it's more of a question of um, it's definitely true that we've done a whole lot of racing games and yeah. spent a lot of time developing kind of um, a really uh, good driving engine, and there was a lot of work involved in that from a kind of physics and vehicle dynamics and all that kind of stuff. Um, but within that, we've always kind of done different things depending on what was, um, you know, what we thought would make a good game and what uh, either fans or clients were, were looking for. Um, and the other thing I would say is with, with the mobile stuff, it was very much when we very first started, we were like, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to do some mobile games. I, I always have the kind of conversation with people that essentially it's the games that matter, not the, not the platform that the game is played on. You know, and people, it's content is king. That'll always be the case. We, people want good games, and whether that's delivered via a phone, via a PC, whatever it is, people want, people want that. It's kind of similar to what I was saying about the, the, the board games as well earlier. So um, we were like, okay, if we're going to work on a new platform, but then you, have, you do have to look and say, what's, what is different? What is an advantage of, of this platform? And we had some brainstorming of a whole bunch of different ideas. And, and one of the ideas that came about led to our first mobile game, which um, is, uh, was Ninja Cats with Samurai Dogs, um, which was a very similar uh, kind of idea of let's do this kind of lane strategy thing. And just kind of, that was for us probably a, it was a departure from our, our normal normal thing but when people were playing it you know people were picking it up and actually they were like actually I can't put this down I'm, I'm really enjoying this 
and when you start seeing that, you see that multiple people having that that feeling with the game. You think, actually, I think we're onto something here, and then you start exploring that kind of kind of further. Uh, and that and that's that's really it was very organic in that way. You know, there wasn't a kind of thing where we sat down and said, okay, we're going to have the strategy where we're not going to do driving games anymore, or we're not going to do, or, or we're going to do this other thing. It was. It just kind of was the right time to try something different, and then the thing that we tried turned out to be um, pretty good. So then we went further with it, and that's, that's I guess that's as, as straightforward as it gets. That's the best way, you know. I've heard, I've seen a lot of developers going, "Oh, we're working on a new game, and it's nothing like what they did previously." <laughs> Why? Because it's they're creatives, you know. They don't want to do the same, yeah. you know. And uh, you hear about it a lot. And some, some, but sometimes, you know, publishers want you to carry on doing those things, and in many cases people just up and leave and make their own shows or own studios because they want to make this new funky thing so they're going to so they're no so that's that's cool um no it's just really exciting i am having great fun with it i'm i'm sort of uh, i like jumping into it for about 20 minutes or so and um, in between transcribing stuff and that sort of thing it's really it's it's good to jump in and out of yeah. Uh, it's not something you you slog away at like you know uh, I'm Dragon Age and I'm replaying at the moment because um, for, for, I'm running an RPG the pen and paper RPG and I realised I haven't played this game in years I need to remember what this world is about uh, so I'm um, I, 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 I Again, so my wife actually had to go at me. I, the, what, it won a lot of awards, that Dragon Age, the, the, the pen and paper RPG, but I had a gripe with the way they changed the magic system from the, the PC game. So I was like, it, it worked really well in the PC game. And I think the system they've got is interesting and different in the pen and paper game, but it was weird that they made it different. I was like, it, the one that was in the, the video game, I thought, could have translated... Right. Yeah, but they they stuck by this bizarre stunt system, and I'm going. Yeah. And you roll a one's a different color, and oh look, you've got a double. Therefore, you could really <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm you know it's, it's, I know it's under, it's easier to understand than D20, but I grew up with D20, so yeah. it's it's weird. But anyway, can you tell us what status the game is? I mean, where can you buy Warhammer Forty Thousand? At the minute, it's available for early access on Steam. So right now, you can go and get it on Steam um, and and play it straight away. Um, and it should be at the end of this month. I'm going to full release. So, um, so what so state is it in now? It's called beta right now, isn't it? Yes. Okay, it's so it's completely feature done. Yeah, so, so all, yeah. all the features are in there, um, and the vast majority of the of kind of the, the content and stuff. It's really gameplay balancing, um, you know, bugs, polish on the UI, that kind of stuff that we're trying to do. We've got a few other little bits and pieces that are going to kind of come down the line um, um, for it. But the, the the yeah, the game's kind of there. You can you can you can pretty much play everything and do everything and try out all the skills. But it's um, heading to iPhone and Android. That's right. Yeah. So and it's, it's also coming on tablets as well. Is that right? Yeah. So so it'll be uh, so it'll be a universal binary on. Uh, iOS, so you'll be able to play it on your iPad, on your iPad Mini, on your iPhone, um, everything basically, and the same for Android. And when's that? When's that happening? So we're we're, the, we're currently going to launch for the end of this month for tablets and stuff as well, or just across, across, that should be across the board. Great. Because I want to play something on the flight to PAX, you see. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Definitely, it'll be it'll be a good game for that. Yeah. I think I'm quite, I'm quite interested to see actually how it works out in terms of we, I mean we've played quite a few games here but the PC versus um, a touch device because 
is kind of on PC you have kind of a certain precision um, with the mouse that you don't have on the touch device, but you can yeah. use two hands on the touch device. And it's not we're not quite clear yet whether it's we you know one gives a significant advantage over the other, whether it doesn't matter because it's just much more down to your tactics and troop choice. Um, but I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, we, we don't want the same situation with. Um, I remember Quake one on the Dreamcast and they linked it with the PC Dream um, Quake. Yeah. That, that, that didn't end well. <laughs> the issue you've got there was always that it's the just one has all the advantage. You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. All the advantage. Now, at least here there's kind of there's pros and cons to both. So I'll be yeah. happy to see how that works out. Yeah. Well Dave, thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge about this um, terrific game. I really enjoyed it. And uh, it, it is different. It's a different take on. It's like a, a, a microcosm of all the vast RTSs we played over the years, and to say, look, this is the point. This is what ultimately you're trying to do. Strip it down to its core. Well, thank you. So, so, and that's that's fine. It's okay, you know, because you don't want to play an RTS, full blown RTS that may have been attempted on a tablet or a phone. Think about it. No, you don't want to do that. Um, you know some of the best games like for example it reminds me it's a lot of the spirit of this reminds me a little bit of uh, Civ Revolution which is a fantastic microcosm of civilization yeah in compressed down onto originally the DS but then went off to to, to, to mobile platforms like phones and, stuff. Uh, and I think there's a lot of that going on here as well you're, you're compressing Dawn of War games so I adore and then compressing them down into this nice like this is the point. This is what you're actually trying to do, right? Right. So yeah, I, mean, I, I think a really interesting thing on on that was just the there's certain things that we had where we knew that people were kind of destroying and creating buildings. And one of the things we did was we changed so you could just switch the mode of the building. I mean, you can still destroy and create them for the reasons, but the mode switch. Um, it was an example of that of trying to take something that actually we saw people were doing this process. Let's make it instead of a two minute thing, make it like a twenty second thing. Yeah. Yeah. Get to the point. Shoot things. Death. <laughs> well, Dave, thank you very much for your time and I uh, appreciate it. And uh, yeah, listeners, thank you for listening. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on stitcher.com. So just go to stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there you just look up the sausage factory and you can find us that'd be great you can follow me on twitter at chris o'regan no apostrophes and uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye